2: All right, it's the holiday season. We're here, Staff and Graph, and we have an awesome guest with us. It's Spencer Gillis. Uh, You know, one of the G's in uh, 3G Sports Limited. Uh, You know, works really, really closely uh, in in women's hockey. Women, uh, you know, player agent for women's hockey. We are extremely, extremely honored to have you on here, Spencer. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you guys?
1: we're doing well so this this the at the time that this drops the pwhl will have kicked off uh, played its first couple of games and so having spencer on like he's one of the premier agents in women's hockey and he's i've i believe you have negotiated the highest value contract in the history of women's hockey was that Soroya?
0: No, it was for Michaela Grant-Mentis, and Mm -hmm. I can no longer say that's the case um, since Daryl Watts was signed, although it's somewhat unclear exactly what happened since the PHF is no longer, but um, I know that other athletes have negotiated higher contracts since uh, the PWHL was formed.
1: Wow, okay. So you've got Soroya Tinker, Michaela Grant Mentis, Cassidy Sauvey, and Sophie Betez, and then I believe Emerence Mashmire and Alina Mueller. That's that's a pretty good stack of clients in women's hockey, my friend. How does how does that start? Like how do you kind of break in and cause we we're all the same age here. Like we're all in our late mid to late twenties. Um kind of how does that how does that happen? How do you gain that trust with them and and get, get it to the point where you've got this stable?
0: I'm incredibly fortunate to work with some great players, but more importantly, I think they're all very tremendous people. Um, it's interesting how I started. It was completely unintentional, but I was working different roles in project management. One of those projects ended up being a podcast that was rooted in athlete activism. It was led by a guy named David Megacy, who was one of the first anthem protesters in the NFL. And it was during the time when uh, it was kind of interesting. Soroya Tinker was feuding with Dave Portnoy on Twitter.
2: As you do.
0: Involvement in women's hockey. And I thought that she... extremely well-spoken, very composed, really intelligent, and represented so many good things in the sport, um, especially when it comes to people from diverse backgrounds and trying to make hockey more inclusive. And so I decided that she would be a perfect host for this podcast, and we ended up first working together in that capacity. And after that, We collaborated really well and uh, continued to work together when it came to endorsements and building her brand and other things like that. And during this time in women's hockey around three years ago, um, agency was pretty underdeveloped and players really didn't have representatives. And so it just, once I started to work with Soroya, it grew word of mouth and then I was able to negotiate uh, what was reported to be the highest contract in the sport at the time from Michaela. Um, And then it it just kept going. And uh, I was able to talk to players like Alina and Emirates and many others. And ultimately they decided that, they believed in my plan and wanted to work together moving forward. And yeah, I, I'm really lucky to work with around 15 players who'll be playing in the league starting in January.
2: Man, I mean, I I feel like things always come come through word of mouth that way, you know, or or just like by happenstance. The fact that you're able, to, you just were like, ah, you know, let me let me dip my toe in here. Let, let's uh, let's do that. And I think obviously one of the biggest aspects of of your job is negotiating a contract um why don't you take us a little bit through what that's kind of like you know like what because i feel like very few people who are listening to this have negotiated a contract even just like on the behalf of someone else maybe they've negotiated their own contract at work but you know take us behind the curtain a little bit into what that's like specifically in the women's hockey space uh and and sort of yeah just give us sort of a a little a little preview a little peek here <laughs>
0: Well, I think everybody has a bit of a different process. Um, it's somewhat difficult, or it was when I started in women's hockey, to find comparable contracts that have been signed because mm-hmm. either that wasn't uh, available to the public, or you know, salary caps were increasing so much that it, it was hard to pinpoint a number. So. How I started was to find a comparable in in the NHL, quite honestly, and see how much of the cap they were taking up from a percentage standpoint, and then trying to apply that and make the argument. Um, When I started in the PHF, it wasn't a draft system, so you could go and you could bargain with different teams and try to create some leverage and increase the price in, in that sense. Um, which was fun and, uh, you know, challenging, but uh, it was great to try to build some momentum for the players and then, you know, get those numbers out as much as I could to try to help other players in similar situations uh, negotiate for what they were worth. Um, In the new league, it's different because we started with a free agency period and then moved immediately into a draft. So it, you can't really go and, and build that leverage. However, you can still make the argument that this player has done this throughout their career, um, and this is how much money they should make on a percentage basis. Uh, however, I think the real and the most important role for agents at the start of this league was just telling teams about the players and trying to inform them as much as possible. You know, This player has done this throughout their career. This is what they're really good at this is where I think you should draft them. Here's some background quotes from former coaches, really trying to create a a complete package moving into the draft um, and free agency because everything was happening so quickly. You know, you, you weren't able to really scout for a season or years on end, unless you were previously working for Hockey Canada or USA hockey or in some capacity in the sport. So really it was up to me to try to provide as much information as possible about my players Um, And I was fortunate that many of them uh, were drafted and and a few of them were were pre-draft signings and then others were able to find places in camps. And, yeah, I mean, the process worked out, fortunately for me, but it's something that will definitely continue to evolve over the course of this first season and throughout all the free agencies and drafts to come.
1: So do you think, we talk about, like you talked about off the top, what it is kind of like to negotiate when there's not really comparables and having to use the NHL as kind of like a comparable. Do you think it would be beneficial for women's hockey to have something like a cap-friendly or a general manager where all of this kind of stuff could be public so that you could make comparisons? And then if you think about how many media stories get written that include oh, is a comparable because of, of this person's cap hit. Do you think that that some a website like that or even a repository like that, hopefully the league is smart enough to have something like that, but something public where it could almost be a discussion point, do you think that would be helpful right now or is that maybe more harmful as the league sort of gets off the ground?
0: I think it's helpful. I think it's something that will come in time. Um, I'm a big believer that you know, as many resources and getting as many people involved as possible is extremely beneficial. And so for me, selfishly, like as much information as I can get access to, I'd love to have. Um, And I, I think it'll come in time. It's difficult with a startup and so many moving pieces. And you want to make sure that Players are are fully content and they feel protected. So I understand why it's not something that's accessible immediately. And I do think that we'll have all this information over time for sure. But yeah, big believer that as much information I can get as possible always helps me to create a well-rounded argument and represent players in the best way that I can.
2: So, I mean, being an agent and specifically an agent, I guess, uh, in in women's hockey, just based on, you know, how turbulent it's been up until this point, a lot of that comes down to trust, right? To You have to get players to to trust you with the business decisions of their career. Um, how, how did you do that? Like, how did you go about showing to players that, like, I have your best interests at heart? Let me represent you i will help further your career here because that's that's obviously like the that's the hallmark of what an agent does how did you convince these athletes you know like these elite athletes to to put their their hopes in your hands
0: i worked for a long time for a guy named dr harvey schiller and mm-hmm. he did a lot of great things in the sport he was head of the u.s olympic committee um president of the atlanta braves he was brigadier brigadier general in the air force and he would quiz me chemistry questions every time I went into the office. And he would always go back to what he called the six Ps, which was prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. And I think just being as prepared as possible and having a complete plan outlined individually for every one of my players or not players at that point, but people that I wanted to represent uh, really helped me. And I think giving them a story on my background, um, you know, the reason, a, a big reason why I'm involved in women's sports is because my mom was a Canadian track and field athlete and my sister was the captain of the Canadian field hockey team for 10, 11 years. She's the longest tenured captain in Canadian field hockey history. And so I worshipped my sister growing up and I followed her around you know, across the world watching her play field hockey. And I really understood, I mean, I I can't fully understand because I I didn't play and I'm not a woman, but I, I understood from her perspective what it was like to be in that position and try to, you know, get to the Olympics, try to be the best player possible and try to build her brand in whatever way that she could. Um, And so I kind of told them my story about my background and what I was trying to do, as well as a full plan that's dedicated to them, um, along with some milestones that we could accomplish together. And I really emphasized the importance of building a good personal relationship, um, getting to know each other really well, taking their time, talking to as many different representatives as they can, and keeping in touch with them with always that plan in my back pocket. Um, and I think that that's worked out really well for me. And I've been able to gain that trust, like you said, because it is so important and there have been reasons in the past for agents or for athletes in any sport to not trust new faces or people getting involved um, as well as to not trust, you know, some of the the thought leaders or decision makers who are ultimately paying them or employing them or what have you. Uh, And so building trust is extremely important to me. It's the number one thing. And I've been lucky to be able to do that with all of my athletes. And we have great working relationships. And I talk to them every week, multiple times a week, almost every day. Um, And so I think that I'm trying to really just build a relationship that's rooted in that trust. And I think success in terms of business and endorsements and branding and all that stuff follows. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a major component of everything that I do. It's amazing.
1: Okay, so you you just brought up endorsements. And that's something I wanted to ask you about. Because part of working at an agency um, is... endorsement side of it too and we see a lot of the big male hockey players have massive endorsement deals and like it's just crazy but there's a lot of women's hockey players that have endorsement deals too whether it's with sherwood cliff bar i believe canadian tire has a few um female athletes what is the difference and how do you approach a negotiation in terms of getting a player an endorsement deal like that versus a playing contract like what is what is that relationship like and how does it kind of play out through the light of that endorsement because obviously there are things the athlete has to do to live up to the terms of that contract so kind of how's it negotiated and, and then how does it work and how is it fostered because I find that part to be really interesting
0: yeah it's interesting with hockey I think the sport honestly is lacking when it comes to endorsements and building individual player brands but women's hockey is different in the sense because a lot of times athletes have relied on these things to maintain a living. Um, and so for me, initially, with building brands through the start of this league, it's important to find organic relationships with the companies that athletes are already using and the activities that they're already doing. So you take travel, for example. So athletes will be traveling across North America with their teams. And so we look at that from a branding perspective. Well, what do you need to travel? And there's a variety of things from headphones to luggage to snacks, eye masks, all those things. And my objective is to make it as easy uh, on players as possible. So for them to create content with the activities that they're already doing is pretty easy for them. Um, and it gives us you know, kind of behind the scenes look and more access into what goes into being a professional athlete. So I go through a full survey process with everyone and I try to find the brands that they're already using, uh, the activities that they're already doing, try to build really organic relationships in those sense, in that sense. Sorry. Um, And something that's a little bit different about me is majority of hockey agents, at least on the men's side, are kind of waiting for things to come to them. And we go out and we aggressively pursue uh, every opportunity that we can find. We build players' individual dedicated media kits, links out to everything, uh, shows their interests, gives them all, or gives all the information that brands need to know about them, as well as all of the advantages to partnering with women's athletes. Um, and so, it's, uh, it's an interesting time right now. We have a lot of people flooding into the sport as a result of this new league. So we want to be as active on social media as possible. And I think we all know that ultimately when it breaks down, you know, it's, it's about creating content that's compelling, interesting, usually short form video based content and increasing your followers as much as possible. Uh, in this day and age, the more followers and the more engagement you have, the better off you're going to be when it comes to partnering with brands. And we want to ensure that these brands, first and foremost, are either leaders in the space or involved in the space or want to be involved in the space. And they're going to be around for some time. We don't want uh, mm-hmm. an partner with a company Um, you know, maybe have some exclusivity there. And then ultimately that company no longer exists and you can't really pursue other opportunities in that space very effectively. So it's very nuanced, but the exciting thing is that uh, professional women's hockey players are more in tune with creating content. They understand social media a little bit better at this point. You know, they're not as rigidly media trained, Um, They don't, unfortunately, have millions of dollars where they don't find it necessary to involve themselves in these things. And so it's really exciting in that sense. And I think we could see some extremely powerful player brands that ultimately, you know, are better than than NHLers. And you look at someone like Hillary Knight, who Mm -hmm. tremendous job creating content and building brand partnerships and putting herself out there. And that's a fantastic template for the rest of the sport. And I think from that perspective, it's a really, really exciting time. And I'm sure we're going to see a ton of great brands get involved, not only with the league, but also with different players.
2: Absolutely. Um, look, you teased you teased it before. We might as well just jump into it now. There's been a big seismic shift in the women's hockey landscape in, over the last calendar year, a little bit more. Whereas in that the PHF shuttered, and it turned into, uh, with everything else, the PWHL as a as a women's hockey agent. I mean, I'm sure that was a massive, uh, perhaps the like the massive thing that would happen in your uh, profession. Why don't you take us through your sort of like POV of how that whole process happened and how that impacted sort of your uh, like workflow and your ability to uh, to be an agent to them sure i have to be a little bit careful with it yes oh, and obviously. we don't want you to get sued obviously yeah, <laughs> you know. yeah. um
0: you know mm-hmm. fortunately, not for us with uh, the representation that i provided i was very open with my players about what could happen um, mm-hmm. and what we were most scared about ultimately did happen but it resulted in something that's extremely exciting and really great for the sport and i i think it's difficult for people to navigate it because you've invested in something that no longer exists and that kind of hurts right you grow up watching a sports team or or loving certain players in certain environments and that no longer exists it's hard not to feel hurt by that but ultimately What's best for the sport and what's best for the players is one league. It's not great when things are fragmented. Um, you know it's it's more difficult for people to get new people to get invested. It's more difficult for brands and companies to become a part of everything that's going on. So um, it was you know hard to navigate and mm. uh, I felt tremendously for all the players involved because you think something's going to happen that ends up not happening. However, like I said, I was very clear with the athletes that I work with of the potential for that. Um, and there were various things that, you know, led to that conclusion. Um, But like I said, once, you know, we realized who was behind this new league fully, what the structure of it was going to look like and everything that's happened since then, it's really, really exciting. And it's going to be awesome, honestly, when January rolls around. I'm always like, oh, I wish, you know, we could be watching games right now. But then on the other hand, I'm like, wow, it's pretty incredible how quickly they've moved with everything um so January 1st you know it's only so far away and it's gonna be pretty fast and furious to start but I mean I'm so stoked to be watching women's hockey and all the best players playing against each other one professional league like it's it's gonna be so awesome
1: and I mean when this podcast drops like we will have PWHL games to watch and that's that's so exciting when you talk about Things like it's easier to partner when there is one league, and it's easier to do business and get people, like significant business people on board behind this league when there is one league. It seems like from an, an outsider perspective and like full transparency, I, I used to work in women's hockey. Like I used to be in the CWHL and um I'm 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 not anymore, but I have followed women's hockey since. And it felt so fragmented and it felt like it was always an argument and now it really feels like everyone is tugging on the same rope and because everyone is tugging on the same rope that train is moving really quickly and so when you look at it kind of what are the what is the future of women's hockey where are we in three to five years
0: I think we're in a thriving league that has more than six markets I think we are seeing a lot more production behind everything. Sorry. there's
2: <laughs> We got a cameo appearance here. That's yeah. awesome.
0: She's <laughs> um, pretty nuts, but she's fun. She'll just sit there the rest of the time. I what, think. Is,
1: what is the cat's name?
2: We, uh, we got to get the whole low down on the cat.
0: Yeah. Her name's Cleo. Um, Amazing she's a devon rex cat i don't know if you guys know about those but <laughs> i'm very allergic to cats but not this breed of cat because she's got this weird fur and she's just known for like climbing on stuff she'll
1: <laughs> i'm in. super allergic to cats too so you and i are gonna have to talk about this kind of cat because yeah I, why. Mm-hmm. I haven't been able to like my dad has a cat and like every time i go see him i have to take seven allergy pills <laughs>
0: yeah no she's only got like one layer of down or something i'm acting like a cat expert but (laughs) i was kind of this cat was a little bit forced upon me but now she's like my best friend i feel like that's always how it works out um But, yeah, I I think we're going to see a a league that's really thriving. I think we've got the right ownership behind it. I think there's the right people involved. Um, The players are extremely excited and impressed by what's going on. So in three to five years, I think there's a fully functioning league. I think it's going to be a league that tries to be innovative when it comes to its on-ice products. So it won't look like the NHL, um, which is a great thing to – completely different sports um and you know i I think we're going to see um professional women's hockey players be some of the most recognizable athletes out there and not just you know the top 10 players on team canada or u.s sweden finland what have you Um, i think we're going to have players in different markets who maybe don't play for those uh big name national teams who will get just as much attention based off of their skill, which is a fantastic thing. Um, I think we all know that the rivalry between Canada and the U S is probably the most storied in women's hockey so far. And I'm excited um, for, you know, different names, different players to come up, you know, we're going to have more robust coverage of everything when it comes to prospects, when it comes to those contract numbers, like you mentioned, Rachel. So um really I think it's going to evolve similarly to other sports, but at the same point, starting a new league in 2023, 2024. And with that, we're gonna find or we're gonna see a lot of you know more media integration more access for the fans and really, I I think just a super advanced and innovative product.
2: When you, if you're allowed to say anything or give us any hint, because when you, when you said that you don't think that the on ice product is going to look like the NHL, what, like, are you able to give us a little hint of what you might mean by that?
0: Well, I know they tried out a few different uh, rules in Utica in the preseason. I don't think the first season will have anything crazy, but I think in those maybe preseason tournaments or, you know, throughout the rollout of this league, you will see um, a few different things when it comes to like, you know, if you score on a power play, you're still on the power play. Those types of of small rule changes to start. um, I think they're they're going to look at all those types of things um, and it'll hopefully lead to some, you know, interesting gameplay, you know, people getting more excited, more goals, more offense, always great. Um, so I know they're focused on trying different things like that. And I think setting that precedent is really excited, exciting for other different innovative things to come.
2: I'm sure the goalies around the league are just thrilled about that more, more offense, more goals. It's gonna be great. great. More big saves too, right? There you go. Yeah.
1: Has anyone pitched the rule where if you score a shorthanded goal, you actually kill the penalty and it's done? Because I feel like that's something that's bandied about in the NHL circles. I know they've tried it at like different levels, but I feel like in women's hockey, where the game is super fast and there's a ton of skill, that could be a rule that sticks there. And honestly, it could be an innovation that maybe it's the NHL that follows suit and goes, "Hey, wait a minute here." Like women's hockey does this and. it's incredible. Do you get an inkling that like they might be like open to trying something like that? Or is that maybe a little too radical?
0: I think for sure they're open to trying stuff like that. I'm not exactly privy to that information, but I think for sure, just based off what I've been hearing and what they've tried already, I think for sure, we're going to see different things like that. You know, it might take a while to do it in an actual regular season game, but I think for sure they're going to to try to look at all those different angles and definitely I think there's a lot that men's hockey can already learn from women's hockey before the league even starts and um I'm hoping that both sides will be really collaborative when it comes to those things and try to push the sport forward as much as possible.
1: Okay, and then I guess the last thing on women's hockey before we I like have some sidecar fun because this has been just like such a fantastic conversation and Mike and I like we're going to do weekly segments on the PWHL and we're going to try and have coaches and players on the podcast because we think just like you the personalities of these women are incredible and um honestly they're a lot more fun to talk to than the <laughs> NHL hockey players and so I feel like getting their personalities out there is going to be super fun for Mike and I when I saw the PWHL It's one United League, and I really wondered, I said, okay, who is going to get behind this? And somebody who's always been a huge supporter of women's hockey, even when he worked in the NHL, was Brian Burke. And I, before, obviously, the announcement, I wondered, how is Brian going to be involved? Because he's not in the NHL anymore, and he's somebody in Toronto. He partnered with the Furies. In Calgary, he was with the Inferno. In Pittsburgh, he set up to host that women's hockey game. And he's always been somebody that, for lack of a better word, he put his money where his mouth is. How important is it for the the league and specifically the players that somebody with Brian Burke's experience, not only at the NHL like head office level, but contract negotiations and kind of being at the forefront of fighting for women's hockey to have a bigger say, how good is it for the women that they have somebody like Brian Burke as the head of the PA? Like, what... What does he bring as a player agent who I'm sure speaks to him and deals with him? What does he bring? That's going to be impactful for these women as this league grows.
0: I think he brings a level of consistency and professionalism, obviously big name in the sport and somebody who's uh, has, you know, always spoken up for what he believes is right. And it's incredible to have, that kind of advocate leading the players association. Um, I think that, you know, when you're the head of a union, a a major thing is listening to everyone, trying to get everybody's opinions and encourage as much involvement as possible. And I think a big thing comes down to who you hire and who you get to, you know, represent players on on a day-to-day basis and, Like I said, I think that consistency, I think that voice is really important for the leadership. And it's someone that players can look up to and and know that he's experienced pretty much everything in the sport. And so I I think it's great. I think you're right. He's putting his money where his mouth is. um, And we'll kind of have to see how everything plays out. It's still very much the start of this when it comes to my relationship with the union um, and my input there. But I think having him involved is comforting for the players. And that consistency, that voice, the power that he has behind him is a fantastic thing. Um, and so I, I'm excited to see how it progresses. Uh, and you know, all signs point to it going very well. Um, of course, you know, it's an eight year collective bargaining agreement. so a lot can happen within that time span. And I'm interested to see how he can evolve and adapt. To everything because it's a a very new league um but nonetheless i'm excited and and i think he provides that stability especially at the start um and players can really get behind what he says so um yeah that's kind of my thoughts there
2: who even knows if we'll be alive in eight years things (laughs) you know things are never never uh, uh never never certain um and i guess i mean obviously you are you're spencer gillis uh, you know, son of Mike Gillis, You grew up, you know, around someone who ran an NHL hockey team. Um, that's pretty important stuff. What What was it like sort of being around the game from a very, very young age?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of normal to me, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, but growing up, I was really, really lucky, not only to be in the family that I come from, but also to be, surrounded by some of my favorite hockey players my dad was an agent um, when I was very young and then worked for Vancouver started to work for Vancouver when I was around 12 years old Um, and so my favorite team was always the Vancouver Canucks I say that and people don't believe me but one of my dad's first primary clients was Pavel Bure and then another was Marcus Naslund and My closest friend growing up, his favorite goalie, he was a goalie. His favorite goalie was Dan Cloutier. And so we kind of had that bond growing up in Kingston, Ontario, of loving the Vancouver Canucks. Um, And we moved to Vancouver to support my sister's field hockey career. She was 16 playing for the national team. And so it was supposed to be just a one-year temporary thing. Um, And then... Ultimately, my dad started to have discussions with the Canucks and then uh, ended up working there. So it was kind of like, wow, my favorite team, like this is super sweet. Um, And then I was, yeah, in high school going to a lot of Vancouver Canucks games. And I was very, very fortunate in that my dad included me in a lot of stuff. So I was able to watch those games from the press box and drove to the rink. Every day with him, drove back to the rink every day with him, um, would sit, you know, in the Team 1040 studios and um, say nothing and just listen. Um, And so I I was um, pretty intimately involved and very, very lucky to do that.
1: Okay, so you you left out the one thing and I'm kind of glad you did because I wanted to ask you specifically about this. Your dad is the last gm in a full proper season to take a canadian team to the stanley cup finals and was uh that close to winning it and for my money the canucks were the best team in that series but if you score zero goals in a game seven um you're not gonna win what is it like and you're a fan of the canucks so i guess it's the question's twofold what is it like to be a fan of a Canadian team that actually has a chance to win the cup and gets there? And then what is it like living through that? And like, you're going to school, I assume like you're in high school and it's like, uh, yeah, I have to go tonight because um, my dad's team is in the Stanley cup. Finally. What is the, what is the vibe like as a kid, when your dad is that close to achieving the prettiest trophy in all of sports and then like that's your team growing up like how do you how does that happen like what does it feel like
0: yeah I mean it was a fun few years because we had the Olympics in there too um but I'm not sure if you remember that season um I still remember like starting school in September and we would always walk to the gas station for lunch or whatever to get (laughs) candies and it was like every hockey magazine hockey news whatever all had the Canucks on the front and were projected to win that year um and Vancouver you know it it's like can be gloomy and kind of gray and everything but (laughs) for some reason I just remember that year being like bright skies sunny every single day um which is definitely some rose-colored glasses but it was there, there's so much attention surrounding the team and so much excitement. And you could really feel that throughout the year for sure. Um the playoffs were always a little bit different. Like we um I don't know if the setup in Vancouver is still the same, but there was a boardroom that every all the families of the executives would go to. Still the same. And- <laughs> yeah. Eat there and all that. And I would make everyone like wear the same clothes every game that we won. And if we lost, they would have to like show up in different clothes and stuff. I was very superstitious. I kept like every single ticket stub from that season. So I felt like I knew deep down that something cool was going to happen. Um so it was just it was so exciting and so much fun, honestly. Um and then as far as the playoffs went, like I, I went to a high school where other players' kids were there. Um, all of the Appellini families were there, and were you so, friends with
1: Dax ever?
0: Yeah, Dax, yeah, like, Dax are does, close friends.
1: Dex is probably gonna be the president of the team someday. I feel like they're they're just kind of grooming him because he's in like he's got an office on on the flo- eighth floor now, which, um for anyone who doesn't know Spencer knows that that that's the hockey ops floor and that's where like the c-level execs sit now but okay so you went to high school with with them and during the playoffs what's that like
0: yeah it was it was just exciting like everyone wore their jerseys we um got to travel with the team and it was just pretty surreal experience honestly Vancouver's an insanely hockey crazed town especially when the team's good or when the team's bad it kind of goes either way um and so it was it was just so much fun and there was a lot of optimism and excitement and everybody was taking the streets um and it it was it was just like the best time to be a canucks fan honestly
2: well, that sounds amazing. Well, we won't keep you for too much longer here, man. So we really appreciate you joining us, um, and we can't wait to see how all your clients and how the entire league does as the uh, PWHL kicks off and uh, and you know starts to thrive. Um, yeah, is there anything you want to plug on the show before before you head out? You know, yeah, just anything you want to broadcast out to anyone else. Just to watch women's hockey,
0: watch the PWHL. It's going to be really a lot of fun. Uh, It's going to be a great product. And the players are definitely the kind of athletes that you want to get behind and learn more about and invest in. So that's all I can really say. I I appreciate you both having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Um, And yeah, like you, I'm just excited to see where this first season
2: takes us well thanks thanks so much again you've been amazing and yeah uh, you know we'd love to maybe have you back on one day to to do a little catch up that'd be great yeah awesome next week sounds
0: good <laughs>
2: sounds great sounds good. Spencer it in.
1: Can come on whenever he wants especially because mm-hmm. we i'm gonna get in trouble if i don't mention this we don't get spencer gillis on twitter anymore so spencer gillis on mm. the podcast i'm mm. more than happy to have spencer and his clients on uh, you need an outlet yeah, he he needs he needs an outlet so so that his dad doesn't text him. I see, you're tweeting again because that is that might be the best Twitter header photo I've I've ever seen. But thank you so much, Spencer, and yeah, we're definitely gonna have you on, especially as the league progresses and and updates and and all of that. This was a ton of fun and um, all the best because this is a super exciting time for women's hockey and honestly, hockey in general. Like this is fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I don't think you're going to see any of my players with like a Photoshop sword through their back or anything like that. Um, But you never know. Maybe I'll do
2: it. You never know. Uh, Well, yeah, thanks again. And we cannot wait to, to see how everything goes.
0: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.